Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. I'm Haley Garofalo with episode guest Quamel Arroyo, an NYU alumnus and the Chief Accessibility Officer and Special Advisor to the Chair at the MTA. Quamel, we're really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be talking to you all. Great. So you graduated from NYU with a BA in Urban Design and Architecture Studies, and then again with a Master's in Public Administration. Since then, you've done a lot of interesting work in government and accessibility. Can you start by talking about how your journey from your studies at NYU landed you where you are in your career now? Absolutely. My time at NYU really drilled down in me the ability and the ethos of curiosity, you know, to question everything around me. I I came into NYU after sustaining a spinal cord injury and living as an inpatient at NYU Ross for 10 months, and my whole world was turned upside down. Being at NYU was really a great spot for me to recreate my new normal or my new different, as we're calling it now, because it really helped me question all the spaces around me particularly in my classrooms, looking at urban design and architecture and looking at spaces not just as I experienced them, but as they were built and understanding all the people that were omitted by by those constructs and realizing that our very own streetscape is full of barriers for many individuals. So, So I really appreciate having that lens and thinking about not just my abilities, but the experiences of others who had different abilities. And, and being at NYU gave me that, that that opportunity and that lens. So you studied urban design at NYU. Uh, what originally brought you to that field and how did it help you prepare for what you do now? I came to NYU thinking that I was going to study econ. And my first class did not go so well. But I had a great academic advisor by the name of Julia Vina who pulled me aside after my freshman year and said, listen, Q, you love to travel. You're always on a plane. You love to discover new cities, new spaces. I really recommend that you check out urban design, urban planning. There's an amazing professor by the name of Mosette Broderick, and I think you're going to love her and the content. And I had really learned that things go pretty bad when you don't listen to Julie just because she has great insight and she knows so much more than you do. So I just heeded her advice and I took that one first class with Mosette Broderick and I just fell in love with the the material. I fell in love with her delivery and really the questions that my peers were having, really looking at the built environment and, and understanding the decisions, the, the construct that delivered what we see today. So when asked about the identities that you hold, you often refer to yourself as a quintessential New Yorker. What does that mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, being a quintessential New Yorker to me means being someone who's doing a million and one thing, being someone who's rushing down Times Square, not because they're trying to be rude, but because they really do have somewhere to be. And for me, you know, that that's really played out in 
what I do. You know, you just said my title and my work, but that's so not what I do. That's what I do when I'm here at the office. Outside of my work, I I'm part of five nonprofits. I, I'm an athlete. I sail in the Hudson. I, I I rock climb. There's so much that defines who I do, and I do all that here in New York City. That's what. I define as a quintessential New Yorker, someone who is hustling and bustling and out here, zigzagging through the city to really make up who they are and all the different things and, and spaces that they impact. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that being able to showcase all the different aspects of what being a New Yorker can look like. After getting your BA, you went to work at Morgan Stanley as an HR analyst. Can you talk about how that job came about and what the experience was like for you? Ooh, that is, I don't know that that's the best story, but it's such an important one. Before I got to NYU, I had worked at Merrill Lynch for several years in their global private wealth group with an investment team. And it really gave me an insider's look into finance, and I knew that world. So after graduating from undergrad, it was so natural for me to speak to a bank and understand their jargon Understand their business, and for them to ask me to join them, I really wanted to go into planning. But as a person with a disability, it, it's very expensive to live alone here in New York City, and government was just not going to provide me with the starting level salary that I needed to be living in Midtown by myself. So I went to work at a bank. It was a familiar environment, and, and it was comfortable. Go to a place that I not only knew, but that was going to pay me what I needed to live independently as a New Yorker with, with a disability. So that's what really got me back into banking, and I did it for several years, always maintaining a foot in the dialogue uh, of the conversations around urban planning, what was happening in New York City, what was new, public plazas, bike share, were, were conversations that were just starting, you know, public benches, and. and I was just in love with those conversations, really hoping to someday join. So with that said, in your journey, as you were noticing that you were really excited about those different things, what was the thing that inspired you to make that transition from the HR or banking world into the advocacy work that you do now? Well, my time in finance and at Morgan Stanley after undergrad really came to an end when I just felt like there wasn't anything new for me to explore there. I, I understood what that environment was going to deliver to me. And at the end of the day, I wanted more. I, I wanted an ability to have an impact in my environment. I wanted a more direct opportunity to change the lives of those kids that I met while I was at NYU Rusk. You know, those kids living with disabilities, living in a hospital, in rehab, like, like I was, who are all struggling to find a place of belonging and to find a community where they feel like they have the tools that they need to be successful and to live a life with a quality of life that they chose, not one that was imposed on them. And that was never going to happen in banking. So once I, I, I saw that and digested that fact, I left. It, it wasn't my place anymore. And I, I found great allies, amazing people in government who introduced me to Polly Trottenberg, who had been snatched by the de Blasio administration from the Obama administration to work here in New York City as a commissioner of transportation. 
And in our first conversation, she and I were just so aligned in all the ways that the agency was lacking the in, in involvement of aging New Yorkers, New Yorkers over the age of 65, for whom we want to say age in place. There's no need for you to go to Florida. And New Yorkers with disabilities, who we really wanted to open their world and access and say, you know, you too can be a contributing member of your society and flip the social model from the medical model of seeing persons with disabilities as patients, but as contributing members of society who are out and about, who are active, who go to school. Yes, they go to their doctors, but they also go to a bar after a long day at work. And that was a vision that both Polly and I wanted to make a reality. And now, a quick word from Joseph Mercadante. There are many individuals with disabilities working very successfully in many industries and jobs across the country. Here are a few tips to support your job search. First, be knowledgeable about your disability. If your disability is covered by the American with Disabilities Act and the Americans with Disabilities Amendment Act, find out how this law applies to you. Second, create a resume that showcases your skills, abilities, and experiences. No matter what field you're in, you should be tailoring your resume to the job description to ensure that it stands out. Three, apply for jobs that you are able to do. Make sure after you read a job description that you would be able to perform the duties with reasonable accommodations. Next, sharing information about a disability, whether it's visible or non-visible, is completely up to you. However, if you do require any kind of specific accommodations, it is probably best to tell them. Next, be honest about your ability. An employer may be concerned that you will not be able to perform the job, so be prepared to share your skills and your strengths with them and cite specific examples of how you've been able to demonstrate these skills through a variety of experiences. Lastly, learn how to market your workplace advantage. Talk about your skills. Talk about the value you can bring to the job. All these things help you stand out as a candidate in order to get the job. There are a variety of great resources out there to help you in your job search. Number one, going to abilityjobs.com. It's a job searching site for persons with disabilities. Reviewing disability.gov, a governmental informational site. And finally, Lime Connect, which is an amazing resource for high school students, college students, and professionals with disabilities. It's a great nonprofit that supports helping people with disabilities in the job search with support and building a network for them to connect with employers looking to hire you. It's important to understand, talk with career coaches, and do the best you can. Now back to the episode. Were there any challenges associated with making that transition from Morgan Stanley to the DOT? And if so, can you tell us a little more about them? Well, there, it's, it's a little funny to talk about this because anyone who's pivoted from the private sector to government understands that they're a 180 culturally. Now, things happen really fast in the private sector, and they don't happen quite as fast in government. So digesting that was a big shock for me. But beyond that, just personally, it, it was a whole different environment. You know, I was working with people who were insanely passionate about making a difference and, you know, who were there for the long run because they understood that 
you know, government moves slowly, particularly New York City government, because it's just such a behemoth that that it takes time for everything it does. Whereas in finance, you know, you pick up the phone and in minutes things change. So pivoting now to your current role, as we mentioned earlier, you're now the MTA's first chief accessibility officer. How did that position come about, and what excited you about that role? Well, the position was created by the state legislature, and it really came about from the governor having the vision of people whose experiences we were not hearing about or understanding, and what that resulted to was a lack of understanding of why there was such a historic disinvestment in accessibility, and he really wanted to bring someone. To the most senior table here at the MTA to fold in that experience of millions of people, over two hundred and fifty thousand New Yorkers with mobility disabilities, you know, over one million New Yorkers with disabilities, over a million New Yorkers over the age of sixty-five, and really those were narratives that weren't included or or folded into the fabric here at the MTA. So the state legislature really changed that and created this position. Which I am so honored to to hold now. What were the challenges and the rewards of creating a new role like this one? Well, I think it's the same answer to both sides. The challenges and opportunities that come with a new role is that you really set the agenda, you set the direction, and I was lucky that I joined the MTA during a time of transformation, when the organization was. Going through a merger, if you will, of all its five entities and bringing it into a one MTA, that provided me with the opportunity to build a MTA-wide agenda that's woven throughout all of the organization. So, so we're, we're crafting a uniform DNA, and that platform allowed me to fold in accessibility in a way that's truly integral to all that we do now in this new one MTA. Great. What potential opportunities excite you most about this job? So I've become a complete transit geek. I I, I love transportation. It's really the bedrock to all of civilization, society, the movement of people, goods, and services. It's really what makes everything happen, and I. Just absolutely love the ability to impact lasting change. You know, I'm an, an artist. Like like an architect builds buildings and structures. I build access to subway stations, to transportation. You know, in DOT, it was building curb cuts, raised crosswalks, uh, literally ramps to to ships. Than ferries and just having that lasting impact in the fabric of New York, providing that lifelong access, so that all New Yorkers and all tourists have an opportunity to experience the city on their own time, going where they want to go whenever they so choose to do it, really moved me. And and I know that there's no other place that would give me that that impact and that ability. To create lasting change in the city. Shifting gears to talk a little bit more about public service, do you think there are misconceptions about public service? And if so, what do you wish more people understood? 
I think there's a huge misconception about working in public sector, particularly around what you get for being here. What what dividends does it pay? And it was also that same academic advisor who said to me that if I followed a career, a profession, in a topic, an area that I love, that it would yield dividends bigger than anything else that I can do or go into. And she was so right. People in government make an amazing living because not only are they well compensated for what they do, but we also get paid in that feel-good change. And that is something that is very difficult to find in other sectors. And that that's something that has kept me in government for a while. And I even left, you know, I had a year between DOT and the MTA where I went to a startup and I worked there for a year. And don't get me wrong, I love digging into those challenges. It was like a day in a startup is a month in, in the public sector. But at the end of the day, the results, what you yield, are, are just... You, you can't compare it. It's apples and oranges. And I so love that ability of knowing that what I'll be harvesting at the end of a day here, a month, the policies that we change are going to be transformative for literally millions of people. That was really well said. As someone who also is really passionate about the public sector, I feel like you did a really great job of explaining what that feels like and looks like for you. So thank you. On top of your full-time job and several other nonprofits that you're a part of, as you mentioned earlier, you're also someone who finds a lot of time to do really interesting hobbies outside of work. You mentioned a few earlier, including sailing, horseback riding, deep sea, scuba diving. How do you make time for so many different activities outside of your work life? You know, some people do yoga, I scuba. <laughs> um, it, it's just my thing, and I am religious about work-life integration. I, I, I'm not one who believes in or practice work-life balance. I believe that to be a fallacy that one rarely ever finds. I, I, I practice work-life inter- integration, and that means that I, I take my work wherever I go. And because I love it, I, I don't mind that. And, and that flexibility buys me some time to, to hop on a flight and go somewhere that I can go scuba diving. It, it's really my reset button. And I so work that into my health, into my regimen, into just my cycle of replenishment and and just shutting down. I love the phrase work-life integration. I'm going to use that. So thank you. As someone who has worked in human resources, what advice do you have for listeners who may be searching for their next or even first job? I so love this question. I've worked in... Now, finance and startup and government, two very different government entities. And what I would say to anyone who's deliberating their next career move, I would say do not look for a paved road. Do not look for a trajectory that you can easily follow or read about and and see how it plays out because those do not make for interesting dialogue, interesting stories or even experiences. If I were to path my journey to where I am today, it has been a very winding road. 
and and I wouldn't have it any other way. There's so many skills that that I picked up along the way that are absolutely transferable into what I do now. And, and learning that and understanding that really early allowed me to be in finance, understanding that those skills were going to really help me in the private sector. And, and they did. And they really came useful when I went to startups. And understanding and believing that, as I said, if it's been done before, it's probably not that interesting. And people seek that umami experience, you know, that that quirk, that difference, because you want to stand out. Because otherwise, you're just going to be a number two, and you don't ever want to be a number two. So our last question for you for today, what's next for you? Ooh, I'm really enjoying this job. I, I am absolutely loving the changes that our new chairman and CEO is bringing to life here. I love my team. We have a very dedicated and passionate group of people here that are helping me execute uh, on my agenda, that one MTA agenda for accessibility. So so right now, I, I, I want to work as hard as I can to, to see this vision of one MTA that leaves no one behind come to fruition. Thank you so much, Kamel. This has been such a nice time getting to talk to you and being able to have this conversation and learn about your experiences and your advice. I think this will be really valuable for everyone to hear. So... This has been Haley Garofalo with All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Haley Garofalo with episode guest Kamuel Arroyo. We're produced by Miriam Miller, Sarah Rosenthal, and Ben Barzilai edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Danielle Crystal and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.